Hey ladies and gents and welcome to a special episode. It is episode 200 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. As always, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dominic Orlando. This is an especially good time to praise the sun, Jared. I am your host, like Dom just said, Jared Weich. I always forget to introduce myself. Um, I think this is a good problem to have, better than making everything about me, I guess. But anyways, I'm so happy to celebrate 200 episodes, Dom. It's so cool. Um, we talk about this often whenever it's one of these special episodes. Unfortunately, Jordan's no longer with us, but when we initially started the podcast, it was mostly a thing for us to do for fun. I wanted to talk video games with people. I ended up making two really cool friends, and... To this day, we're still doing this podcast, which is fun. Obviously, don't have a huge audience, so make a lot of money from it. By not a lot, I mean zero. We make zero dollars <laughs> from it. Um, but I do like getting together once a week and chatting video games with you. And one of the cool things with episode 200 is I decided that it would be a cool idea if not only me and you talk about our top 10 games, because I think the last time we did this was either episode 150 or 100 um, alongside Jordan. But in that time span, we've gotten some more games so i'm interested to see if any mm-hmm. games have jumped into our top 10 if personally we've thought about it and moved some stuff around because gamers are a special breed and most of us who are really into it have our lists and i have a list that i'm yeah. currently i have my top 100 games listed wow you go all the way to 100 shit yeah i mean it's not as important as it goes down but the way i basically did it is i did my top 10 and then from that i was like this game where does it land this game and then i started pushing stuff down right um, and that's, you know, where it falls on the list. Anyways, I thought it'd be cool if we had our guests from previous episodes. From what I saw, I mostly got almost every guest we've ever had on the show, including Michael Huber and Ian Hink from Easy Allies, and our good boy Blessing Adioye Jr., who's now kind of funny, who's a very <laughs> busy boy. boy. Uh, yeah, um, was able to, to chime in too. And what they're going to be doing later in the show is giving their own spiel and rundown on why their favorite game is their favorite game. Some of them talk for a little bit longer. Some of them talk for a little bit shorter of time, but it's going to be really cool. I'll be introducing those one by one. So to stay tuned for that. Personally excited to hear those. Um, cause I've not heard them obviously myself. Yeah. So. I haven't heard them either. I've checked them, uh, at the like the beginning and end for like quality assurance but i haven't listened to them yet so when i'm editing so, i'm gonna so one of them might be like a sabotage like blessing was just trying to get his own separate message in the middle of our show or something yeah unrelated he's like my favorite game case is at the top he's like anyways i'm just gonna go on this bad about jet set radio or something he spends the whole time yeah talking about donkey kong country 64 or something <laughs> yeah uh before we get into the top 10 i talked about you know reaching episode 200 and it being a really cool milestone but I mean, you've been my co-host here since the beginning, Dom. Do you have anything you want to say about us reaching that lauded 200? Not too much uh, different than what you already said. It's just it's been good to uh, have a couple of friends that I can consistently, you know, meet with every week and talk about, frankly, like the sh- like the hobby I like the most in the world. Because um, I don't really have, you know, friends like that in real life, and uh, <clears throat> certainly not that I would talk with. Um, the, the depth that we do right um we really get in there you know get real analytical get real weird with uh shuhei and uncle phil and, <laughs> and you know and all our friends at the publishers we like and you know and we praise the sun frankly and it's it's been good and there's 200 times of it now so i'm, I'm happy yeah it's i have friends that i can talk about video games with but on a very surface level and there's nothing wrong with that right but it is cool to find other people who like the minutia of the medium. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a blast. And we've met a lot of really cool people along the way. And you'll hear some of them later. 
um, from all walks of life, you know. Uh, from the very first episode, we had Blessing. Like I said, we had the Easy Allies guys. Most recently, we had Elisa from Dual Shockers, who was really cool. She's now like our our go-to person for Japanese games, because boy, does that girl love Japanese games, and me and you, t- <laughs> that's like our blind spot. Outside of Persona for you, right? Like, I guess technically from stuff for our Japanese games, but you know what I mean, that's like true. JRPGs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we met a lot of really cool people, and... I hope to meet a lot more really cool people along this journey and bring people back. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear those uh, spiels about their favorite games because that's really cool that they were... By the way, when I reached out to all of them, they're all like, heck yeah, thank you for letting me be a part of this. I really enjoyed being on the podcast. So, you know, shout out to all of those guests for being really dope people. Anyways, that's that. Let's get into our top 10 games of all time some of them we're going to start at the top at 10 work our way to one and as we move down the list we'll talk about them a little bit more obviously because they mean a little bit more to us but number 10 i have a new entry on my list that cracked the top 10 dumb and i had to think about this for a while of how high in the top 10 it would end up being but it comes in just at number 10 and that's red dead redemption 2 Mm. Mm -hmm. fantastic game obviously released in 2018 i like gta 5 quite a bit the single player Multiplayer was hit or miss, fun, whatever. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2 had one of the most emotionally engaging narratives for me. I think if the multiplayer was more robust and or engaging, I think this would have probably landed higher on my list. But even with that, just a single player experience was phenomenal for me. And that year was great for video games. And out of, you know, the Spider-Mans, the Red Deads and God of Wars, it held its ground, which is not surprising because it's Rockstar, but. Yeah, number 10, Red Dead Redemption for me. Man, um, it didn't make my list, but you, it's a great game. And uh, I think what <laughs> yeah. you said, like, gives it or describes it the best of, like, how impactful and emotional, like, the story was and, and the characters and everything. It was just, that was so good. That's one that, even though I spent, like, I think it, 60 hours playing through it, I rushed the second half of it. So that's one that I want to, like, go through again. Maybe, like, the PS5 uh when the minute looks a little bit nicer, presumably. That. Uh, that's why I want to replay through it. I've been, I've been wondering, should I replay through it uh, recently in the last, like, six months because I do love that story so much. And I was like, we're so close to next gen. We're going to get some enhancements, even if it's just mm-hmm. the baked-in backwards compatibility on the Series X, right, and which we also assume will be on the PlayStation to some degree as well. Um, that's probably when I'll do it. And the thing I want to mention, too, is people forget that when this game was announced to not have John Marston as the protagonist, people kind of were worried like oh man it's not gonna be john i love john from the first game but we met arthur and it for me arthur morgan means a lot more to me than john marston and i think that's not necessarily a knock on the character of john marston it's i think they're better writers now with red dead 2 than they were with the original red dead as a team um and they kind of grew from that point so yeah what's your number 10 so, so this is weird so something had to get bumped from my list and that was uh, Uncharted 4, which I think I actually had somewhere in like the 7 or 8 range. I can't remember. Um, and it got bumped for something else I'll get to later. But that puts this game at number 10, which is The Witcher 3. And like, whoa, howdy. What like what, what all can we say about The Witcher 3? Which uh, that's, a, but that's a sarcasm. There's a, a freaking lot we can say about The Witcher 3. Um, similar to Red Dead, the, the storytelling is just spectacular. Um even down to all the side quests, right? Um, we're arguably actually more impactful story-wise than, than the main quest in that game. Um, but yeah, all the characters, um, 
the the choices you get to make just and then like just the sheer scope of that game is ridiculous um and the world the world building is is top notch i the the combat is like really good but probably probably the weaker one of the weaker parts of the game but that's still like you know some of the best combat around so um that says a lot but yeah man like this is the game i had never played any previous entries in in the series um but after playing this game i started reading the books obviously like burned through that netflix uh season one in like a weekend so like this game just threw a whole new universe at me and um i absolutely adore every bit of it so witcher 3 is like a i don't know how i would put it I've, i only spent like 12 to 15 hours only like 12 to 15 hours of Witcher 3 <laughs> and i never got the full breadth of what that game had to offer so i it's one of those games that i think if i when i do because I, I eventually will go back to that game uh, for sure and start from the beginning um I think it'll eventually end up on my top 10 list. I just don't have the experience with it. You know what I mean? So it's one of those games like, oh, that game's definitely going to be on my top 10. I just haven't gotten around to giving it its just dues. But I'm not surprised it's on your list. You and Jordan would wax poetic along with everyone else in this industry about that game, and it was deserved uh, Man. of every praise. That being said, my advice is get on it when you can because to me that's one that you know maybe another five years from now – might not hold up that well and the reasoning i'm now thinking that is i tried to go back and play the first red dead after playing red dead 2 you know and that's a xbox 360 game and turned it on and like started walking around and the the, i was like wow this is an old game it's not even that old (laughs) right it's not even that old it's from like 2007 or 8 or something but the the we've made a lot of improvements in in controls and shooting you know mechanics and stuff like that um that you might not notice until you go back and play something old. And I just like, after a couple hours of Red Dead 1, I was like, ooh, I'm not doing this, man. I'm just not doing it. And I could see a similar thing happening to The Witcher 3 where like the world and the characters and the quest and that's all still there. But maybe gameplay-wise, it might not hold up for very long. I don't know. Well, especially with Cyberpunk right around the corner, right? <laughs> yeah, that too. Could have the same effect. Um, different games, obviously, but yeah, I'm with you there. Next up, number nine. I have Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, and I'm talking about specifically the original one, and not the bastardized remaster with the multiplayer. The single player obviously was just improved graphics, but this game, we've talked about this before, Dom. I spent countless hours in the summer, <laughs> in the summers in high school playing the multiplayer of this game. Um, I have very fond memories. The single player is really good. A lot of memorable characters. All Gillied Up is one of, if not my favorite first-person shooter mission ever. Uh, I love it so much you got so mctavish and all of the boys the multiplayer though is just so exceptional and it was like a second coming for me so halo 2 right was my introduction to online multiplayer in a real way and got me hooked on the concept of it like i didn't even think it was a thing before then and halo 2 was great but then it kind of died off and i was wondering if i'd ever get into a multiplayer game like that again and then right around the corner call of duty 4 came in with modern warfare and hooked me and my friends chasing skins, chasing KDs, learning the maps, playing search and destroy, just going absolutely crazy on it. And yeah, I I absolutely adore that game. Like I said, the remake, uh, remaster, the campaign's awesome still. I hate that they added the microtransaction stuff to the multiplayer, but it's inevitable to Activision. But that didn't take away from my fond memories of the original. Absolutely love that game. 
dude i got this on my list too it's even higher though but yeah this this game is is phenomenal and i didn't realize it's our stories are pretty similar because uh i was introduced to multiplayer gaming with halo 3 and uh you know me and my, me and my little brother like got pretty hooked on that for a while but when this when this game when call of duty 4 came out that's when it became like next level like oh shit this is what i'm doing every day after school you know from three o'clock until midnight or whatever the heck it was and, and <laughs> yeah. you know disgusting amount of hours i've spent in this game same kind of thing chasing prestiges and kds and shout out search and destroy like one of the best multiplayer game modes probably ever um but yeah the uh, all gillied up great level when you first have to use the sniper rifle and like the, you have to uh, account for the distance and the wind that was like oh, and the mind bullet drop oh yeah and the bullet drop like I, like today it's like yeah of course um a lot of games do that but at that point it was like what like i don't know it was cool <laughs> the only game i ever faked, faked being sick for so i could stay home and play it <laughs> story. Nice. <laughs> uh, i was a pretty good kid growing up it was just like i was so addicted to that game man mm-hmm. so bad uh what's your <clears throat> number nine so my nine is bloodborne um haven't gotten <clears throat> to yet another one. <laughs> oh, i think uh i think you'll like it so I like somewhere on my list. No surprise is going to be Dark Souls One. Um, I absolutely adored everything about that game, and it's it's similar to Call of Duty, where it just kind of brought me into a whole new world. But um, Bloodborne for me was a surprise because as much as I liked uh, Dark Souls Two and I was looking forward to it, it was you know at best like more Dark Souls One, you know, um, same similar mechanics, but the world and the characters weren't quite as interesting. The level design wasn't quite there, um, and the setting was similar. But along comes Bloodborne, and I was very like, wait a minute, From Software is making this now? Like, it's all like gothic, and I don't know, there's werewolves. I'm not sure about this, but you know, I'm gonna try it. And holy crap, it's it's phenomenal. The way that they reinvented their own genre and make you learn in a, like a, a very different kind of combat. That you know, if you're coming right into this off of Dark Souls, you might think like you're a badass who tells other people on the internet to get good, right? But then it, when you step into Bloodborne for the first time, you got to learn a whole new way to play. So, and and the setting is like really creepy and awesome. So, Bloodborne number nine. Nice. Um, I when I do get around to it, I think it'll definitely be pretty high on my list as well. Maybe not top ten, but um, you know, Dark Souls three and Sekiro are both of my like top fifteen, top twenty. Um, and you know, no surprise, Dark Souls is also going to come up later on my list. And I, I often, I guess I'll, I'll leave that for when we get to um, those on the list so I can tell you about the struggle I have with it being in my top ten. Um, next up, number eight, Spider-Man PS4. So this was another 2018 game along with God of War and Red Dead Redemption 2, which I already talked about. It's my personal dream of a superhero game. Like, obviously the Arkham Trilogy is brilliant. I really like Batman, but and I read DC comics and I like DC heroes, but I've always been more of a Marvel guy. Hashtag Marvel Marvel guy. And Spider Man right behind Hulk is my favorite superhero. Um, for a lot of people, just his relatability and all that stuff and the the storytelling they've done with that character. And we often talk about these dream scenarios of like, man, Machine Games, the guys behind Wolfenstein. Imagine if they got their hands on the Punisher license, right? Or imagine <laughs> if. Uh, uh, 343 or Bungie got a hold of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And we were like, oh man, imagine if Insomniac with their traversal from Sunset Overdrive was able to do a Spider-Man game. And then it happened. 
and it's great. Obviously, it has some some weaknesses with the MJ and Miles segments, which thank God for Miles Morales because we'll be able to finally use him as Spider-Man. But the storytelling was good. I know some people have complained that towards the end it gets a little bit, you know, predictable in terms of a Spider-Man story. But and spoilers for Spider-Man, I'm about to spoil the ending of that game, so skip a couple of seconds if you don't want to spoil. The fact that they had the balls to kill Aunt May is huge. Like, they've done that in the comics. It's not something that's never been seen before. But in your first video game, and what's assumably going to be at the very least a trilogy, right, of AAA games, to kill one of the most prominent characters in the franchise like that, it takes some balls. And I'm glad they did that. And it's not something I ever anticipated happening in the first Spider-Man game. Maybe in the second or the third, right? But, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, for fans familiar with the comics of the storylines, the Doc Ock thing was a little bit, you know, of a tell. But I watched a couple of Let's Plays of people who aren't super familiar with the comics and they didn't see it coming. And the way it unfolded for them was really neat to see. And I do think that's something we have to take into account when we see these games uh, based on other properties is not everyone's as familiar as you are going to be. And even with me being as familiar as I was with Doc Ock and the whole situation with Peter Parker, I still found it really enjoyable. Uh, I like the puzzles in the game too at the lab. I know some people didn't like those either, but I really enjoyed them. Combat was fun. <laughs> I will say, if I'm going to be completely honest with this game, is it did end up leaving a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because the last piece of DLC, the combat just got a little grindy and button mashy and a little too difficult. Um, and it kind of like was eh. But in, in terms of the base game, it didn't take away from that. It didn't take away from getting the backpacks and getting all of the suits, which are awesome. I just love Spider-Man PS4. Easily my favorite superhero game. Um, <clears throat> and I can't wait for the sequel. No, yeah, this game was excellent. It uh, it didn't crack my list, and maybe I'm feeling a tinge of regret. But yeah, it's super good. Um, this was another one. I I would repeat and echo all this you know praises you just gave it. Um, th- this was one of those games though where I ended up going for the platinum, so I felt a little bit of that grindy combat. Um, you know, in that process, which you don't feel in the main game when you're just going through the story, right? So that's kind of like not not necessarily a fair you know criticism maybe a fair criticism of the platinum but not the game itself i don't know my yeah, only no, this game is great oh you got it too nice okay yeah uh but i didn't have as much of a, a grind near the end because i did a lot of the grinding of the crime missions during my playthrough because i was just so in love with the traversal of the game that mm-hmm. i was just do in between main story missions but yeah love that game so much uh what's your number eight dom uh eight uh here we go fallout three this is 20, 2006 or seven or something. It's an older game um, in the scope of my life, at least. Uh, <laughs> this is, I think, the first like proper RPG I had ever played. And there's a different Fallout game that's actually going to rank higher that I like much better. But this one like introduced me to Western RPGs. And, man, it's... I am so glad that even though I didn't play like when it first came out, it's a couple of years after, but I still had that feeling like when you first... You spend so much time at the beginning in that vault, right? And yeah, I'll be the first uh, white guy with brown hair on the internet to ever say this, but when you first leave that vault and, like, the sun shines on you and then you realize, like, oh, this is the entire world in front of me that I'm going to be playing in. Like, that's just, like, an incredible moment. And then the the rest of the game doesn't disappoint where, you know, you can do things entirely how you want, um, you know, ch- be friends with who you want, um, you know, kill who you want, help who you want, and, and so on and so on. And all the quests, obviously, like, use that. And 
all the RPG elements, all the skills you're leveling up, uh, you know, can affect the quest and how you can do things. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that can be said about Fallout Three, but it's it's just, it's just a phenomenal game, and it means a lot to me. Yeah, I the uh, the other Fallout I assume is on your list. It was near cracking my top ten. I liked Fallout Three, but the other one that we'll talk about in a bit uh, <laughs> is definitely my favorite of the bunch. Um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see you have you have two fallouts on your top ten, which is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Really good franchise. Um, maybe not as of late, but I think it'll return to form for sure. Uh, next up, number seven, Telltale's The Walking Dead Season 1. Um, Ooh, good one. I mean, you can include the whole all seasons, but for me specifically, Season 1 is one of the best like narratives I've experienced in video games. Clementine is one of my favorite characters in video games, and... I just adored this story in a genre and setting that's so overplayed and gets tiresome. Um, I just absolutely fell in love with everything that was going on. And I don't know. I The more and more I think about that experience, the more and more I love it. Um, and yeah, I just, it ushered in a new stage for a, a video game genre that unfortunately Telltale's management got in the way of them delivering and kind of soured that whole process of the games coming out at least the seasons anyways but i guess for me without walking dead season one i don't know if i would even ever tried life is strange season one right i don't know if i would have tried what remains of edith finch um obviously different but more narrative focused game Uh, it just did a lot for me in terms of my tastes in video games and what i expect from a focused narrative and yeah i just i absolutely loved it dude yeah that game was so good um i had never played anything like that uh style of game at the when i first booted this up either and yeah it definitely wasn't uh, introduced me to that that genre um but yeah i was already in love with uh, the show the walking dead so like this was an obvious like well what's i keep hearing about this weird you know um adventure game like we'll try it out and like oh yeah lee and clem i'm just by the end of it, it was, oh just just felt a lot yeah and it, it, from the very beginning it teaches you to not judge a person by their circumta- circumstances or past like people forget lee started that game in the back of a police car <laughs> and for murder who knows if his arrest was, was justified guilty. or not likely yeah. unjustified based on what we've learned in recent years yeah. but by the end of that game that that season you don't even think about that it never even crosses your mind because you see who he is as a person and what he does for clementine and oh so good chef's kiss good and like What's that's you? like a, that's like a famous like zombie or post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, lord. It's a trope, right? Oh, yeah. someone who is you know a, a criminal in their past, but now it's a new world where like are they, can you trust them? That's like, but they did it well, and it you know you didn't feel re- repetitive with that at all. Yeah, it comes in at number seven on my list. Dom will remember that. Yeah. <laughs> number seven on your list. Uh, so here's where I put Call of Duty Four: Modern Warfare. Cool. Which, we talked about a bunch already, so let's move on. Alrighty, um, number six, I got Super Mario sixty four. Oh, this is one of my earliest memories in gaming. Obviously, on the Nintendo sixty four, it introduced me to three D platformers, and I've been in love with them ever since. I love how precise you can get with the controls in this game. I love the worlds. Jumping into a painting blew my mind as a kid. It's so dope. 
Yeah, I was like, what? And then it transports me to this other world. And then you find out about the hidden stars and you want to try Secrets? to go after them. And it was totally one of those playground discussion games where you're talking with your friends about, did you catch the golden rabbit under the castle? And you're like, well, there's a golden rabbit under the castle. Yes. Oh, and man. It's a lot of stuff that is no longer around because of the internet, right? And you could just Google stuff and find out stuff so fast. And before those days, you just, I mean, internet was around, but it wasn't as pervasive as it is now. And you would just hear these stories about these secret things. I have friends who are still to this day have nightmares of the red eel underwater that terrify them. I found out that that was like a normal fear for kids. The kids freaked out about that. And I never had that issue. I was more afraid of the Chucky doll. But the worlds they would send you to, I love the variety of the levels. It was my introduction to seeing a game transform in front of me because I was used to the 2D Marios at that point. But to see it get put into a 3D space kind of blew my mind as a kid. I'm like, it opened up my eyes to the opportunity of what that can be. And I was, I've was i struggled with putting Mario Odyssey in this place instead of Super Mario 64 because it is the modern interpretation of that game. And I was in the minority, but I felt you know Super Mario Odyssey was the best game uh, of that year when it released uh, on the Nintendo Switch. I was less of a Breath of the Wild guy, more of an Odyssey guy. And it's because it harkened back to my childhood in Super Mario 64. And we've heard uh, rumblings of these remasters that could be t- potentially be coming out. And boy, howdy, would I love to return to the world of Super Mario 64. And a cool thing is that leaks happened with Nintendo and they ended up finding a fully modeled Luigi that was supposed to be in the game and never made it to the final copy. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, Super Mario 64, dope game. Man, dude, I think that was the first game I ever played and owned. It's got to be, I think. I can't remember anything before that. Uh, N64, yeah. It's so cool how they did, like, a lot of people, you know, maybe five to ten years older than us or older than that, would say that Super Mario World, you know, uh, was kind of did all that for them, like different worlds, secrets, you know, interconnected levels or whatever, like all that stuff. But like to me, that's Super Mario 64. That's my first reference of that. Um, yeah. So it's cool how like that game, you know, did what Super Mario World did, but for a new generation kind of. Exactly. And it's what Mario has been doing for decades at this at this point. You know what I mean? Uh, Odyssey was that for a group of kids, Dom. Think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. What's your uh, number six? Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. The Last of Us Part 2. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Yeah. And it gets – the list is going to get weird here quick. So I, I have Part 2 at number six. Um, this game was so good. Like, it was so good, man, and so impactful. And just, like, ripping at my emotions, like, through the majority of the game. And towards the end especially, I just uh, – for them to like take the narrative risks um, that they did, and I guess gameplay risks as well. Um, I don't know how much we want to like spoil it on here, but it's, you know, they... it's so close. I think we already have yeah. our spoiler cast up if people want to hear our spoilers on yeah. it. So I think we should maybe avoid them for this. Yeah. So like they, the risks that they take, um, there are like, I can, I get why, a, you know, a loud portion of the internet is pissed off at, you know, where the story went with this game and where um, the second half of the gameplay, you know, went wrong for some people. But for a lot of people, it worked. And when that works, like, man, it just, I don't know, it just twists with my emotions so much. Um, and then the gameplay was like, just like the first game, but even, even deeper. And 
more dynamic where every every encounter felt like you know every little fight you had with a single enemy felt scripted but it was actually just you know, the animations and uh, the way everything works in this world is actually just that good um and it looked great visually um i could go on for a long time but yeah this game was just excellent so last of us part two number six really good game i'm still debating where that game ends up on my list uh it's going to be high uh definitely in the top like 30 but i'm still debating i I enjoyed my time with it um it's really cool to see it so high on your list so quickly and i wonder if the more time you spend with it if it moves up the list and gets higher or maybe it moves a couple of spots down you know i'm interested to see how that plays out next up i have spelunky at number five Uh, it's a roguelike that i've talked about numerous times the sequel's coming out soon which is really dope for me, this game is comfort food. I think a lot of people have, especially people older than us, Dom, uh, a lot of people who played in arcades or grew up with the classic Super Mario or Super Mario World. They go to those games and they play them when they want to like veg out and go a little bit brain dead and just play a video game. And it's they don't have to think about it, right? They already know the controls. It's simple. They get it. And it's just about maybe beating that level a little bit faster than you did the last time you played it or beating the game a little bit faster, dying less than the last time, right? These little personal goals, they don't really mean anything in the long run, but it just gives you another incentive to play a game you just feel comfortable with. And that's Spelunky for me. I never thought I'd be a roguelike guy. They can be frustrating to people. As I've realized as I've gotten older, I'm a bit of a masochist. I love the From games. I love Spelunky. There's there's a, a bit of... There's a weird tinge in me whenever I can overcome my own defeats because I'm a little bit hard-headed like that of, you know, oh, you think you got me game. No, I'm going to sit here and beat my head against the wall until I figure it out. And Splunky is incredible. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, do so. Um, It's a game full of secrets. There's various ways to get through different levels. And it's kind of like an onion. (laughs) Forgive me for my Shrek reference. It's a bit like an onion. It has layers. You start off, and it seems like a basic roguelike on the surface. But the more you start peeling back, you figure out that there's these hidden interactions between items. There's secret exits. There's secret items you can get by doing certain things in a certain way. And it gets deeper and deeper. And I'm really excited to see what happens at the sequel. But, yeah, Spelunky. Love it. I think this is the first one on your list that I've not played. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> more people need to play Splunky. It's dope. What's your number five? Uh, yeah, so my number five is The Last of Us Part One. Uh, wow. Yeah. So th- this was tough because I couldn't really, I, I couldn't decide part one, part two, which one I like more. Um, and it's hard to put yourself in a time, you know, and place sometimes where we were just talking about Super Mario 64. It's easy for me to remember back to that game and what I felt like at the time and even as you know, young and stupid as I was, I was just a little kid, right? Um, I could still appreciate, you know, like what was going on and how cool everything was. Um, now, having just played The Last of Us Part Two, especially gameplay-wise, um, it being so so good, um, I'm I want to th- like. It's hard for me to remember back at The Last of Us One, but I remember feeling similarly about the gameplay in that game. You know, when that first came out, I'm sure if I played it now, I'd be like, ugh. Yeah, this is kind of like Red Dead One. This is this is kind of an older game, you know. But um, the, this game, I think, to me, this the way the story hit and the way the gameplay also was really good. And the way this was the first Naughty Dog I, I, game I played, and the way they, they they so effortlessly blend gameplay and story and cinematics together. Um, this was another moment to me. This game of like, 
what games can be um, that I hadn't really played before. Right, I had started getting into some Western RPGs and obviously a lot of shooters and stuff before that. But this was like, it's not really its own genre, but it, you know, Naughty Dog has a way of like making things so cinematic while like the gameplay also still being really deep and good. And like, even if it loses like some of its video gameness, um, it kind of, it still has a quality to it. So, and then obviously the ending was just like, like made my jaw hit the floor. Um, but yeah, Last of Us Part 1 at number 5. I really liked Last of Us Part 1, but after playing Last of Us 2, I kind of am higher on 2 than 1 in retrospect. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> both really great games, though. Next up, number 4, the only, in my opinion, the only perfect game I've ever played. And by that, I mean for me, I would never change a single thing about this video game. I think, I just think it's a perfect perfect package and that's inside um Mm. it's not a very long game i think it's like three and a half four hours to finish it's obviously by play did it's their second game after limbo um i just think the level of quality and animation in this game is is brilliant i think the puzzles in this game are fantastic they progressively get more and more difficult but they're not to the point where they get super super frustrating and you're pulling your hair out um I think the environmental storytelling they do is unmatched. Um, I love the ambiguous artistic ending of the game. Uh, Forgive me, Dom, have you played Inside? Nope. (laughs) Okay, so I don't want to spoil it for you because I do think it's worth playing. But the ending is the most divisive part of this game, and I think that's intentional based on how they end the game. I'll leave it as vague as that. But the journey you go on with the character in that game is dark at moments but there are rays of hope that shine through that kind of add some levity to the game in crucial moments there's some weird mysteries that they don't explain that i actually like it's a part of storytelling i enjoy of having some mystery boxes that pay off but having some mysteries that you show up as a mystery and they go away and you're left questioning because sometimes that's the best part about entertainment is having unanswered questions because they leave it open for you to think about years past your initial experience with that product right and yeah i absolutely love inside uh i would say that it's the best game on xbox one this generation personally um it's yeah i love that game i play it once a year uh around my birthday and i really want you to play it when you get a chance dom because i do think you'll enjoy it just like i'll for sure enjoy witcher 3 and bloodborne i think you'll have a good time with inside and like i said it's one of those games you put on your headphones you hop in for three and a half hours you can play it in one game session and it's a really cool experience the music and the ambiance in that game is really good i can't wait to see what play dead does next but boy do i love inside yeah i've been meaning to and i want to it i don't know why i haven't gotten around to it i own the game it was like an epic game store free one at one point so i have it um i just need to finally get around to it so that's on my you know backlog of shame item and this is another game I can't wait to see the the automatic improvements it gets for next gen on backwards compatibility. Um, oh, I can't wait. What's your number four? Uh, so next, now I have Fallout New Vegas. Uh, for those listening, that was the, the Fallout we were talking about earlier, yes. which is my personal Surprise. favorite Fallout. Not in my top ten, but I'm excited <laughs> to hear why it's in yours. Surprise, it's not Fallout 76. 76 or, or Fallout four. Shelter or four, yeah. yeah. Um, no, New Vegas was fallout because i had already played fallout 3 and then not long after i went right into new vegas and 
Um, so I talked about Fallout 3 kind of like opening up the door of a Western RPG, and then to go from that into New Vegas of like, okay, now you're like you're in the building of Western RPGs, but New Vegas is gonna just completely like blow up that building and like just I don't know this game. It it was you know mechanically the same as three. The world was brown instead of green. <laughs> so and then you're in Nevada instead of DC, but this game did so much more as far as like different factions and quest lines and RPG elements. It went even deeper than three did, which is crazy. And this was obviously made by obsidian instead of Bethesda. Um, So that's why I'm really excited for what they do next with some of their upcoming projects that we now know about. But yeah, this game just took all the RPG elements from three and just expanded on them like so much more and put them all over the place a lot of the same quirky characters but even more you know they 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 knew the the weirdness around fallout and what was likable about three and that aesthetic and they just expanded on it and the vegas strip in this game to me was like cooler than you know it hit harder than uh being in like downtown not downtown but in dc when you you know you get to see the washington monument and stuff um the vegas strip like the like the coolness of that was to me hit harder than uh than dc and three um but yeah this this game uh was just i don't know i could gush about it for a while uh, it was kind of like i played on first on xbox 360 and you know it was kind of like didn't perform well like it, the frame rate wasn't always great and there were some bugs and stuff but like none of that even slightly mattered it was just i don't know it was just gaming bliss and i loved it yeah, it, it's one of those games that really sparked my sense of exploration in video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fallout New Vegas is so good. Um, like I said before, it's my favorite Fallout that we've had so far. Uh, it's incredible. And I do think maybe the reason Obsidian nailed it a little bit more than Bethesda is because they're a little bit detached from the property. Obviously, they were they had some of the people that made Fallout, but they're a little bit more detached directly, so maybe they were willing to take some more creative risks right than Bethesda was. But... Uh, Either way, incredible game. What are we on, number three? Yep. So, I talked about this earlier, about how I've had this debate in my head of what should go here, and that's between Dark Souls and Dark Souls 3. And oh. the reason I have a, a, a weird problem with it is that, to me, Dark Souls 3 is unequivocally a better game, and that makes sense because they've had two games to perfect their craft, right? I think the combat feels the best that it's ever been. I think a lot of the boss fights are a lot more intuitive and they make sense and there's a i think a better progression of difficulty in dark souls 3 that being said dark souls is was my introduction to from software it introduced me to the style of game it showed me what tight combat could feel like it showed me how punishment can lead to greater reward i love the world i love the storytelling through the environments I loved how it was one of the first times I played a game where you see that thing, you can go there, and the way they tied in the entire map and how you would unlock, you know, pathways back to previous areas, the introduction of the bonfire as a save system. I liked the the gambling mechanic of you having the souls and do I fight another person or do I backtrack all the way only to let all of the enemies respawn in the area. There's a lot of magic there with Dark Souls and... Though it, I don't think, in retrospect, is as good as Dark Souls 3 because, obviously, one came out much later, and like I said, they learned a lot. I do think it has a little bit of that special magic and nostalgia from me that holds it higher 
uh, when all things are considered. And I'm very happy that I had a chance to play Dark Souls because with the other two games I'm going to mention on this list, I think it only strengthened my love of the genre, of, of the medium of video games. And without it, I don't know if I would eventually stuttered out and lost interest in uh, video games. But I'm happy I finally got around to playing it because all I heard was, this is such a difficult game, don't play it, avoid it at all costs, yada, yada, yada. And I dove in and I fell in love. So, yeah, Dark Souls. Yeah, um, think the I've been thinking a lot about three verse one in this because I've been playing through three uh, again, and I think it's a great example of the case of three is so good because of one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and not just a little bit in cheap ways that I'm now remembering. Like, okay, yep, we. We're in Anne Orlando again, you know. Oh, yep. We're, we're picking up a lot of items that exist in the first one that make you go, oh, yeah. You know, like a lot of stuff like that. They're like, it's great. I love fan service, but, uh, and it, it connects and it makes sense. Like, technically, all the worlds, I think, are like related some kind of spiritual way um, of Dark Souls. Um, even in Bloodborne, uh, there's uh, actually, I think even in Sekiro, there's some references at least, but where there's, you know, the universes maybe cross in some kind of ways. But, um, yeah, 3 just kind of, like, took everything 1 did and, like, perfected it and made it deeper and bigger and, and that kind of thing. Um, but 1, to me, was like, yeah, that paved the way. Um, and that's going to make my list at some point here, too, coming up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's those, there's always the moment, like, when you first play Dark Souls and you, you go through the first tutorial section, most people can get through that. But then you get into the first, like, you get into – Firelink Shrine, and you start going from there. And once you figure out, like, oh, I need to go up towards the, uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called, like the like undead village looking place, um, as as opposed to the graveyard, because you go in the graveyard, like yard, you just perish, get... I believe. Perish, yeah, like in that direction, because obviously, like a lot of people go to the graveyard first, and then just get their shit rocked by skeletons that keep reviving themselves. And you're like, how in the world do I do anything? You know? <laughs> and then, uh, yep. and it doesn't tell you really. Um, maybe it hints through weird discreet ways but when you first like conquer that area and like light that next bonfire and then find the shortcut back to the beginning it's just like the greatest feeling of relief and accomplishment not to mention you know when you kill some of those first bosses um the feeling of accomplishment of like oh man all that torture i've been putting myself through um as like clean and as good as the controls and the gameplay is it's incredibly difficult obviously but that feeling of accomplishment you get when you beat those first couple bosses and then throughout you get better and you feel yourself getting better and better at the game even like you know leveling up doesn't necessarily isn't going to be a magic bullet for you right like there's not so much grinding in these games that can help you um it's kind of you just you have to learn the mechanics and you have to learn the patterns of the patterns of the enemies and learn the environments and the areas and and those kind of things so (laughs) I could you already hit a lot of what I wanted to say about this game too, and it's on my list. But yeah, man, like Dark Souls was just it. Um, I want to make a reference, but it'll spoil a different game on my list, so I'm gonna save it. Ornstein and Smell still my favorite from boss in any of the games, personally. They're so good, man. When you walk into Ornstein and Smell and like you see there's two of them, and you're just like, well, what? How could I possibly? You know, I can't. I can't win. You know? oh, and then the reveal of when you finally kill one and you realize the other oh. one takes the power of the other one. Yeah. That you just, yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, there is, they also get a callback in Dark Souls 2, too, but mm-hmm. let's not mention Dark Souls 2 as we're talking about some of our favorite games. Uh, <laughs> what's your number three? So my three is God of War 
2018 uh, PS4 whatever we call it uh, so this this was tough to put at three because after playing it you know I might have thought like this was two or one but as some time has went on I actually had to push it back just a touch here because this game to me blends a lot of what I love about Dark Souls um, and what I love about like The Last of Us and it does so so well you know it has like that you know difficult third person action combat um kind of like a you know taking some elements from dark souls but then merging that with like the old god of war game style of combat um, where it's still a little bit arcadey but if it, but it's more grounded uh, if that makes any sense um but then also like it felt like not only that was so good but then all of a sudden santa monica is like making games with a cinematic cinematic quality of naughty dog games on top of all of it um like just being that the whole game is like one shot um even like even though that means some trickeration with the load screens or whatever when you're fast traveling being like you're running through this arbitrary you know path kind of a thing um but yeah and then additionally the the story and the characters in this game were just absolutely incredible um the all the interaction between Kratos and Atreus were just uh, it, like made you feel like, especially initially, like really uncomfortable. You're like, man, he's such a dick to his kid. Like, what what is this about? Like, what's going on? And but then ultimately, like the lower, I don't know how to describe it. The story wasn't as grandiose as previous God of War games. Um, it was the plot itself was very personal and. It didn't. While you hear stories about some of these, you know, bigger gods like Thor and and so on, you know, they were just kind of there in your way and doing some of the, some other things. But um, this, the main plot and narrative was focused on just Kratos and Atreus, um, and there wasn't like a grand thing happening, uh, th- you know, throughout that kind of. They're not saving the world right from some giant god or killing Zeus or whatever the crazy shit that happened in the other God of War games, but. Uh, yeah, this game like uh, at number three is it's so good, man, and it's far and away like to me is is uh, perfect. Um, yeah, th- this game was just too good. Uh, one of the best video game sequel teasers of all time. Like it's optional. Oh yeah, yeah. And once you beat the game, if you go back to the house, house. Yeah. and you're greeted <laughs> by Thor, uh, it's so good. Another really cool thing about the game that I recently found out is that the original. The beginning of the game when you fight Balder for the first time, who's known as like the Stranger at that point, the giant like like a pillar rock that he hits you with, or you hit him with. I don't remember how the fight exactly shakes out. Anyways, on that rock is the mural that you see at the end that reveals that Atreus is Loki. So oh, really? it's actually shown at the sure. beginning of the game. Also, yeah, in the cabin there's four Norse letters that spell out Loki that you can find in the cabin. Ah, didn't yeah. know that either. Huh. Yeah. Um, some of them can only be accessed through the, uh, what is it called, the photo mode. So it's a little bit tricky, but mm. they're there, which is really neat in retrospect to be like, oh, this was here the whole time. I just got played. Um, number two, if you listen to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm a huge Pokemon fan. Love the series. Um, Pokemon Silver and Gold uh, is my number two game. Uh, the best pound for pound Pokemon game ever made. 
Um, obviously, you can include Soul Silver and Heart Gold because they're just the remix of these games, right? So just put that into one package. But I don't know if anybody lost their minds the way kids did when you get the eight badges and you finish the Elite Four in the Johto region, and then you find out that you can travel back to Kanto, fight all eight gym leaders in that region, and get all of those badges too. It blew kids' minds. You can get back on the ship and travel back to the region from the first game. Some of the best post-game content in a video game, and so surprising, wasn't even hinted at. Um, obviously, I have a love for the original 151 in terms of the Pokemon, but we're talking about games here, and I think that the narrative stepped it up in the sequel. I think that the all of the features they added with the sprinting and the breeding and the shinies, shinies are introduced in Gen 2. Um, I just think, like I said, pound for pound, they're the best Pokemon games and I would be remiss if the best game in one of the closest series to me in my video game journey isn't on this list. And without Pokemon, I don't know if I'd be interested in video games. You know, Pokemon Red and Blue is what got me hooked, and Silver and Gold obviously built on that. And if I hadn't fallen in love with the JRPG, which is like one of the only few JRPGs I play, which is Pokemon, um, Baby's First JRPG, my whole love for the medium could have changed and i think that's really cool to look back at and yeah silver and gold easily the best in the series so so good man i remember playing through both silver and gold were my first pokemon games entirely and then i don't know how long after when they announced crystal and oh i had to have that shit and you know i I made it made sure that i was gonna get it and played through it again which is not that different than gold and silver right um I don't even remember the differences, but yeah, I was, that's kind of where it also dropped off for me. It was after those games, but I was, I was neck deep into, into that generation of Pokemon too. And I think we, we often forget about kind of like with red dead Two, where I mentioned, you know, people were worried that John Marston wasn't the protagonist. This was a sequel to like one of the biggest breakout video games of all time, right? Pokemon landed on the scene, burst into the world with millions upon millions of kids getting into the show getting into the cards getting into the video game and this sequel is having to live up to all of that and it did and it pushed the franchise forward and it's incredible number two dom so here's where i have dark souls um awesome talked about it a lot um yeah i I could talk about it for a whole nother hour um but let's move on uh number one for me once again if you've listened to this podcast at all mass effect 2 like, come on now. I am waiting, begging, EA, don't buy WB games. Spend your time and effort on this damn Mass Effect re- remake, Mass Effect trilogy remake that's supposed to be coming out. All these rumblings still say it's supposed to be coming out this year, and I can't wait, and I hope it's true. Mass Effect 2, for me, is the best combination of the RPG storytelling elements of the first game and the combat of the second of the third game, sorry. I think the third game gets a little bit too deep into the combat and loses a lot of its lore perspective and storytelling. I think the first game has easily the worst combat in the series. And the reason I love Mass Effect 2, and I won't go too long because I've talked about this game so much, I love the aspect of a suicide mission. My favorite Star Wars film is Rogue One. I just love the setup for that because I think there's so many interesting things you can do when the ending is already kind of known to a certain extent. Obviously, it's a little bit different from Rogue One to uh, to Mass Effect 2, but I do like these people coming together. The companion missions were really cool, and I love that 
depending on how much time and effort you put into those relationships, it affected how likely those people were to survive. The varied cast of alien races and characters and the relationships you can have with them. It was the ultimate water cooler game. Obviously, I didn't have a job at that point. I was still young. But going to school and being like, oh, you romanced this person. Oh, you did this. Oh, I didn't do that. And then when it came to the ending and finding out, like, well, who survived out of your crew? And going to going to school and finding out I was the only person among my friends that had everyone survive. Um, because not only is it you doing all your companion stuff, it's also making the right decisions when the mission is actually occurring and sending the people to do the right stuff. Some of my favorite characters of all time in video games, I love Jack, I love Morden, I love Grunt. Uh, Ashley and Caden can go bye-bye. Um, obviously, Miranda's cool. Uh, Jacob, uh, his whole story mission with his father being a lunatic. I just love so much about that game, and it's one of my favorite game worlds in general. And I'll love Mass Effect 2 until the day I die. And I think eventually it could get passed up by another game because this is a, you know... A, Video games are so tied to technology that it's no surprise that some of the newer games that come out tend to hit the top of our list because they're doing stuff that weren't even possible in older video games, right? And I do think there is a good chance that in the future Mass Effect 2 gets topped, hopefully by Mass Effect 4 or 5, whatever they call it. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love Mass Effect 2, and it's been my favorite game for a long time, and uh, hopefully it stays that way, but God, I love those characters. Man, yeah, that game was excellent, and... Uh... So many of those side characters are so good, and the, the stories uh, you went through with them were like just absolutely incredible. I had, I think, like all but two people die in my, my playthrough. So. Hey, man, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well. I've had some people who lost lots of people. Um, and then, obviously, to mention, too, we didn't mention this with Witcher 3 earlier, uh, but Witcher 3 had incredible DLC with Blood and Wine. Mass mm. Effect 2, the same. Um, Ladder, uh, Lair of the Shadow Broker is one of the best DLCs of all time along with, obviously, Minerva's Den and all that stuff, but absolutely love Mass Effect 2. What's your number one, Dom? Uh, so my number one is Zelda Ocarina of Time. So this is the best game ever created. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to tell me otherwise, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Um, unless that's your opinion. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm getting in the weeds. Uh, so... The reference I wanted to make before was that Dark Souls was, uh, and I'm stealing this straight from Kaza McDonald, whoever, I think that's who it was, who reviewed Dark Souls for our IGN, who said, Dark Souls is Ocarina of Time all grown up. So it makes sense why I like that game uh, so much better, as I was, you know, not all grown up, but closer to it than when I first played Ocarina of Time, which was probably, you know, in the first handful of games I ever played on N64, you know. Uh, Super Mario 64 being the first, and then we had some Mario Kart and a couple other probably shitty third-party type games in there, but Ocarina of Time was the first game that, like, it, it just brought everything to a whole new level, and as, like, a, I don't know, eight-year-old or whatever I was at the time was, oh, okay, you know, the video games, like, they're, this is the coolest thing in the world, like, video games are incredible, right? Um, it had a similar moment that Pokemon had where, you're a young Link and you're going through all these adventures and you're getting weapons. And first of all, targeting system, like a lock-on third-person targeting system. Like, we have that. We have this game to thank for that. Even if some games don't want to appreciate it, Ghost of Tsushima. But more on that later. Um, but yeah, you're, you're playing through the game as young Link. Do you think the game is about to be done? Because you've just cleared three dungeons and you're about to go to Hyrule Castle to 
you know, to defeat Ganon or save Zelda, whatever you think is going to happen. And then all of a sudden you go and pull up the master sword and then everything changes. You become an adult and you shortly thereafter find out like, Oh, that was like just a extended, you know, prologue basically. And the game is like, you've only finished maybe at best a third of the game. And now you're, you're adult link and you're the whole world. You thought you'd saw all of is, you know, four times as big as you even could have imagined. And it just opens up even farther. So, um, that moment was just like, Oh crap. Like, Oh, okay. This is what the game is. It's that it's even bigger than, than what we thought. And this had for me, a lot of those same water cooler moments you talked about where like me and, uh, one of my friends in particular at the time, it took us months to beat this game, right? It wasn't like today where if I can't figure something out, I'm just going to put more time into it or look something up and go through it. This was like, we had to solve these mysteries on our own because even getting like a magazine guide was, you know, close to inaccessible for us. Right. We had to get someone to buy it for us. You know, it's 30 bucks or whatever. Like even that was tough to do. So like not until after we beat the game, do we end up getting the guide and then, and then we can go back and find all our heart pieces and stuff we missed. But yeah, this game, it just, it, uh, it's, it's another perfect one. Like that, especially when you put yourself at, that time and place um it was just too good man and it it really is what made me love games you know initially before anything else so uh, ocarina of time number one hell yeah i don't think anybody would argue with that being number one in your list that's probably number one in a lot of people's list yeah. um another blind spot for me never played it want to eventually get to it but yeah i have a blind spot with a lot of zelda games unfortunately just as a kid wasn't a franchise that was something i was looking out for right um I was too busy caught up in Pokemon probably at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've so, so many good things about Ocarina of Time been said, man. It speaks for itself. It's obviously considered one of the greatest video games of all time by most people. I'm going to throw this on you. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but it's something I thought of during the show, and I thought it would be a nice little thing to end with before we get to our guests. Um, I want you, and I'll go first. You have some time to think about it. I want you to think of three games and name them that you think have a chance of Maybe not have a chance. I guess the best way to put it is you, your your best hopes are that it could crack your top ten, right? So games you're eagerly anticipating, games that you hope are as good as you think they're going to be. Um, I'll start. For me, I would say Avowed, which is Obsidian's next big RPG. We talked about them earlier with Fallout New Vegas. I'm really excited about that. Somebody talked about when Avowed was uh, announces. It's weird that we've seen a lot of people go after Fallout's crown. But no one tried going after Skyrim despite how successful it was. No one, really. We didn't see any Skyrim clone or look like this entire gen. Despite that game selling millions upon millions of copies. And obviously I think Obsidian is going to do much more than be a copy of Skyrim, right? But it is a game that I'm highly anticipating. And I really hope reaches the heights of what Obsidian is capable of with the budget behind them. And the backing of Microsoft and all of their resources. Second fable i really like the original fable trilogy playground has such a a keen eye for detail and aesthetics and we have been now with a teaser confirmed that they're going to have that humor which i never questioned considering they were also a british studio but you know i really love western rpgs and if you nail it out of the park i think it could easily become one of my favorite games of all time obviously mass effect 2 being that and with fable I think we don't get enough levity and comedy in games, and I do think that Fable can carve out a niche of being 
a really good Western RPG that's actually really funny too, you know, and hits modern standards for video games. So I'm really excited and hope that could crack my list. And lastly, this should come as no surprise either, Play Dead's third game. We've had teases of it having to do with an astronaut maybe landing on an alien planet of some sort. I really liked Limbo. Inside is my fourth favorite game of all time. I talked about how it being, in my opinion, the, the, the only perfect game I've ever played. And, yeah, I can't wait for their third game, and I really hope it hits the mark because they spent so much time, five, six, seven years, nailing the animation, nailing the aesthetic, nailing the environment, nailing the tone. And I can't wait to get my hands on whatever they make next. <sighs> like I said, I threw this on you. So if you want to just name one, maybe. And it doesn't need to be something. It, it's just like, what's a game that you really hope is super good? And if it does meet your expectations, could be in top 10. I was also thinking of Cyberpunk, too. Like, I want that game to be incredible. And that could yeah. easily hit my top 10 as well. God of War 2, obviously. Like, there's a lot of good stuff out there. The first thing that comes to mind is, yeah, like the sequel to God of War um, being like as good as the storytelling was in that game to see um, what we assume will be, you know, a PS5 game, you know, built on that a system. Showpiece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, showpiece, or a flagship, or, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm anxious to see that them keep the personal aspects of the story going because um, there's obviously a lot more there to explore, but also adding in some more grandeur like thor um what's the guy above thor that i can't odin. think of odin <laughs> um are we gonna see some kind of ragnarok situation going on i don't know anything about most of that but um i you think the I sequel hmm. i want a boss fight with fenrir are you familiar with fenrir no <laughs> so fenrir is a giant wolf he was did you see thor ragnarok the movie no no he's just a giant wolf god Right, it's a Sif is based on that loosely, from Dark Souls. There's a giant wolf god. I would love to be able to fight a giant wolf god in God of War too. And to your point too, now that they're like the big secret of Loki, and now with Thor, I think the storytelling can maybe unfold in a way where they don't have to tiptoe around the secrets they're trying to reveal at the end of the game, and maybe they can do a lot more experimental, interesting stuff with that, where they can dive deeper into the Norse mythology aspects, right? Because they were a little cagey with it purposefully in the first game to have those reveals for you. Like, you don't Mm -hmm. even know Freya was Freya for a while, right? Or that she was the Valkyrie queen, obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a... They, they, there's a lot of ways they could go with that. Um, so I'm excited. That definitely has a good shot. Um, I want to say the next Zelda game, because um, it had been a long time since, you know, before Breath of the Wild, since Skyward Sword. And I didn't really like that one. <laughs> um, but Breath of the Wild, I loved. But I still preferred, you know, the original style of Zelda game where you're progressing through dungeons and gaining equipment um, that unlocks new parts of the world like that classic thing that they got rid of in that game um, you think the sequel will have that you think they're changing that for the sequel <laughs> after hearing feedback or do you think it'll be I don't know. not in a bad way but more breath of the wild yeah that's what i that's where i'm hesitant because obviously they could just do breath of the wild 2 and you know use the same kind of template as, as the first breath of the wild and that well um, i'd obviously still play it maybe there's re- other redeeming parts of it but that would disappoint me because i want them to go you know make another modern game in the original style of gameplay aesthetically we already know it's going to look like breath of the wild right and it's taking place from the trailer like underground 
like sub world. So mm-hmm. maybe that's their excuse for being able to return to those dungeon roots because that was a big complaint for people is that they, they missed the classic Zelda feel to that. And I wonder if that would make me enjoy that game more. Like I'm still interested in Breath of the Wild 2 or whatever they're going to call it despite not being super high on the first one um, because I am curious to see if they do hear that feedback. Uh, feels like Link Between Worlds is one of my favorite games. And, Ooh, that uh, one's so good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a good answer, too. What about Avowed? Do you think that could possibly... I was going to throw that in, yeah, because yeah. Um, I, I hadn't talked about in a top ten list. I hadn't talked about Skyrim at all, but I love that game. I played it multiple times. Um, yep. It's excellent, but no one's challenged it. The gameplay is not anything particularly special as far as, like, combat, you know? So, um, in fact, it's a bit clunky you know that you don't necessarily go to skyrim for the combat but so there's an opportunity there for someone to you know to butt heads with with uh, bethesda on that and i think obsidian like who why why the heck not um get that boy loaded up on a series x in a couple of years and i think like that's exciting to me um yeah elden ring potentially we'll see you know i I've, I've talked a lot about dark souls and how much i love from software and then having george rr R. martin obviously from game of the writer game of thrones to come in and you know do some story consulting is exciting so we'll see what elden ring's all about too or sekiro 2 as well like i'm still of the belief that i think that game <laughs> sold so well and performed so well that i think activision might green light a second partnership with them um if from wants it right yeah well we also don't know what the initial deal was they could have already signed it from the from the jump like a multi-game deal right we don't know um but yeah that's it from us on our top games now we're going to head over to our guests. I'm going to introduce each of them, and they're going to give us their rundown on why their favorite game is their favorite game. And, uh, yeah, let's see what they have to say. First off, we have Blessing Eddie Oe Jr., the first guest ever on the Controlled Interest Gamecast, now a proud member of Kind of Funny and doing awesome work over there. And he wants to share with us why Breath of the Wild is his favorite game of all time. Yo, what's up? Blessing here from Kind of Funny. Um, shout out to Controlled Interest. Jared, the homie, hit me up and asked if I could talk about my favorite game and why it's my favorite game. And let me tell you, my favorite game shouldn't come as a surprise because it's the greatest game ever made. It's a game called The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, let me take a drink of water and tell you guys about it. Hold on. Man, uh, the reason I had to take a drink, drink of water is because... Man, Breath of the Wild, it gets me so thirsty, man. It gets me thirsty because I just want I, I want so much more of it. Uh it's a great game. You know, it's 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 Zelda. Everybody knows Zelda. I think the thing that makes Breath of the Wild uh, special is the fact that it takes the open world to the next level. Um you look at the you you look at the physics of it, you look at what's going on with the different systems, you look at the climbing, you look at the art style, you look at the um the setting, right? You're you're in this post apocalyptic Hyrule. And everything is gone. Everything is gone uh, to crap, and you know you as Link are coming back after a hundred years or whatever. And like you kind of, you kind of come, you kind of come back to a world in which you've already failed. You know, like you've you've already messed up. You've already lost. Um, and you're kind of coming back, and you're kind of putting some of the pieces together, but not even all the pieces, which I think is the thing that's really interesting and special about it. But yeah, like. Breath of the Wild as an open world game, I think, does the thing that I ask so many open world games to to do, which is make me feel like I am discovering as I'm going. Make me feel as if I am uncovering this new world. Make me feel a feeling of wonder. Make me feel a feeling of discovery. And Breath of the Wild does that so excellently. Um, and whether that's just through the way that the world kind of guides you through, the way that the world kind of kind of um, uh, baits your interest, you know, when it when it places you into that that starting section of the Great Plateau, and you look around, 
and you see you see Death Mountain, you see uh, Ganon's castle, you see the deserts, you see the the snowy uh, the, the wintry mountains, you know, you see, you see these different la- landmarks. You see the, 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 the big structure floating in the sky far away. You see all these different landmarks. And as a player, you're like, oh, what's that? Okay, no, what's that? What's this? What's, what's, what's over here? You have all these different ideas of what this world can offer and, and what is there awaiting for you. Um, and, you know, that is such a great catalyst for how the game kind of sends you on your way. Um, I think I think such a special thing about how it's constructed is the fact that, and we people talk about this all the time, but the fact that you know y- the first objective you get is your last objective, right? At a certain point, very 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 early on in the game, they they give you the objective: kill Ganon, and that's it. Like that's the last objective in in the game. That is your end goal: kill Ganon or destroy Ganon or however they put it. Um, and with that, like you can tackle that however you want. You can you can explore the world at your own pace. You can you can um, uh, uncover all the secrets and all the mysteries and all these different and all these different things at your own pace. And everything you do kind of contributes to the end goal of making you stronger and making you more capable and making it so that you're able to destroy Ganon. I think that is such a genius way to form a game and form an open world. And with that they knocked it out of the park by adding adding in all these elements, right? Adding in the puzzles, adding in the shrines, adding in the physics elements in the, in the systems that interact together in such cool and dynamic ways. The idea that I can have a metal sword, throw it at, uh, um, at an enemy, and use my thunder ability to then make it so that, like, the the sword will attract the thunder and, and uh, um, you know, use that and reflect into my enemy. Or, like, I can do that during a thunderstorm and thus, like, attracting thunder from the storm to then strike my enemy down. Right, I can do that. I can, um, if I see, uh, now I'm trying to think of like different combinations for systems worth the while. But you guys get the point. There's so many different ways things can go, and there's so much freedom in how you can play, and there's so much, there's so much to explore, and so much to um, mess around with and experiment with in the game. And it is such a fun sandbox. And so that is why I really love Breath of the Wild. That is why it's my favorite game. That's why everybody, every single person listening to this, and we, the people that are hosting this, that's right. I'm looking and talking to you, Jared. That's why you should play Breath of the Wild if you haven't. You better have, actually, Jared. You better have played Breath of the Wild. Um, thanks again for the invite. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, congratulations on, on, on making it so far with the show. Um, appreciate you guys. Love you. Until next time, tune in to Kind of Funny Games Daily. YouTube.com is Kind of Funny Games. Thank you for that blessing. Uh, next up, we have Michael Ruiz, formerly of Dual Shockers, and he's going to talk to us about a little game called Galaga. Hey, everyone. Uh you are unfamiliar with me i am michael ruiz a former writer and news editor at dualshockers.com kind of on a break right now we'll see what happens anyway we're not here to talk about that we are here to talk about my favorite game of all time um you know when jared asked me to uh this question i i, I thought it would be actually kind of a hard question to answer and and it turns out it, it really wasn't um I kind of knew my answer pretty quickly but i did want to give a quick shout out to some of my favorite games of all time um, because I wouldn't really be writing or doing any of this uh, without some of these games, like uh, the original Doom, Star Fox 64, Mass Effect 1, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, and uh, Fable 2 are, are some of my favorite games of all time. But my favorite game of all time, of all games, of all video games, um, is the Namco Classic arcade shooter Galaga. Um, Growing up, I, I I mostly played on a on a Game Boy, like the original Game Boy, and I am that old to have had that as my primary source to play video games. <laughs> but 
this was sort of my introduction to to that world, to, to the world of video games. And uh, the the cartridge that I played mostly was a Galgun Galaxian uh, arcade classics uh, cartridge. Um, I did play a little bit of Galaxian. It's not a bad game. It's a it's a very good game. But Galaga is basically the like a perfected Ga- Galaxian. It is by far like not only like a, one of the best shooters, arcade shooters of all time. I think it is. I think it is the best video game of all time. Um, but it's not just nostalgia that um, makes it my favorite because I know like tying it to this thing that I used to play on that really you know set my course into the video game world. Yes, it's it ends up being a very nostalgic trip, but I, I, I do really think it is the best arcade shooter of all time, and and I don't think anything has really surpassed it since it released back in 1981. Um, the controls are, are simple, but they are so tight. I mean, I guess that might depend on the uh, cabinet that you play on, if you're playing on a cabinet, or um, but if you're not, I mean, you're playing on an Xbox, or you're playing on a Switch, or something like that, and it still feels tight to this day. It, it feels great to play that game to this day. Um, the sort of risk reward of, of getting like a second ship so then you can clear that screen faster. It, it brings a bit of a of strategy to it. You know, that ch- the chase for that high score is always thrilling and really nothing is more satisfying than getting, you know, the all 40 bugs on a challenge stage and hearing that jingle. It's, it's, it's definitely one of my most satisfying feelings I've ever had in a video game. Um, there are just so many elements to it that that seems so simple on the surface, but really there's so much depth there, and and it's such a fun game, and I, I don't think there is anything really like it even now, you know. So yeah, that is my favorite game of all time. I just wanted to close this off by saying congratulations to the Controlled Interest crew. Uh, 200 episodes is no small feat, and I hope to listen to 200 more. So thank you guys. Bold choice going with Galaga, Mike. Next up, we have Ian Hink of Easy Allies, and he's going to let us know why Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Bloodborne are both his favorite game of all time. Hey, this is Ian from Easy Allies. Uh, Whenever someone asks what my favorite game is, I can't ever decide between Symphony of the Night or Bloodborne. Uh, But I guess the reason I like both of them is pretty the same like direct control really solid art style for both uh exploration is key and exhilarating and it doesn't really tell you what to do or where to go it's all kind of on you to put it together and uh in the case of both there are huge things you can just miss if you're not paying attention um, or that you, like, hear about in whispers on the street and then discover for yourself, and it's just so much fun. Um, and, I mean, obviously they're similar games in a lot of ways, but really different in a lot of ways, obviously. Uh, 2D, 3D, um, you know, but I also think that I like the amount of weapon variety, specifically in Symphony of the Night, obviously, because it's way higher than Bloodborne, but I just love the options you have for how you play both of these games. You can find things that feel totally different, but all feel viable. Uh, And they're just cool. They're just so cool. The lore, the look, the feel, the music in both is, like, top tier. 
it's just great stuff. Um, yeah. So Symphony of the Night and Bloodborne. If you ask me on different days which one, if I had to pick one or the other, I don't know if I could do it. Uh, but they're both just chef's kiss. Thank you for that, Ian. We really appreciate it. Next up, we have Andrew Cogswell of Uppercut Crit, and he's going to talk about a game you may or may have not heard of called Final Fantasy IX. Hey there, I'm Andrew from Uppercut, and I wanted to talk about my favorite game of all time, which is Final Fantasy IX. Uh, Final Fantasy IX was a game that I discovered very young, but after the game had been out for a few years, I was in fifth grade when I got it, and the reason I got it was because growing up poor, I wanted to get the most bang for my buck. And so when I saw a game had four discs, I was like, wow, this must be really long. Let's get it. And that would start a um, a lifelong love of JRPGs and RPGs. The characters are complex and varied the storyline is full of twists and turns and beautiful moments of just sincerity and love and anger and betrayal uh it's just the the environments the world is so interesting and beautiful for being a ps1 game and it showed me that video games weren't just platformers and which is what i was used to between like crash bandicoot and spyro and even mario um i was so used to just run jump collect and hadn't really seen a game with that kind of storytelling in it before so being a person who like as a kid loved reading and experiencing stories especially reading fantasy books Final Fantasy IX was that in a video game form. It was leveling up. It was fighting monsters. It was doing side quests. And all in a format that told a story that connected with me because of my interests um, outside of video games. And it's something... It's a game that like I will always, always love. I mean, it, like I said, it's my favorite game of all time, but... I remember um, my sister, I was in fifth grade, my sister was in sixth grade, and so I started school before her, like for the for the school year, and so she had extra time to play it when I was gone, like she would spend all day playing it, and I got so frustrated because she was getting so much farther ahead of me um, that I actually hid the game uh, while I went to school instead of taking it to school with me like a smart kid would have done. Uh, I hit it in a very, very obvious spot, and I came home, and she was playing it. I was so upset, and she's like, well, you should hide it better, um, and just because, like, I wanted, it was something like we were always around the same point, and so we could play together, but she was getting farther than me. I didn't want to get spoiled, and that was the first game ever to where I was worried about getting spoiled and, like, what happened in the story and what was happening to these characters. Uh, because I was so invested in a way I never had been in a video game before. Uh, it opened my eyes to what the, was possible with the medium. And like I said, ever since then, I've just been a, a huge fan of RPGs and JRPGs. They, they just 
do something into my brain between the storytelling and the checking off boxes of like leveling up and learning skills. And it's got if it's got base building, even better. Like that's <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, that's why Final Fantasy IX is my favorite game of all time. Thanks. Also, congratulations to uh, the guys for 200 episodes. That's incredible. Uh, great job, guys. All right. Bye. Andrew went with Final Fantasy IX. Now we're going to go to Elisa, uh, who recently guested on the podcast. Really great person, awesome individual who knows a lot about JRPGs. And like Andrew, she's going with Final Fantasy, but for her, it's not nine. It's Final Fantasy VIII. Hello, everyone. My name is Elisa James. And I'm a senior staff writer from Dual Shockers. I also co-host a Shin Megami Tensei theme podcast called Mega Ten Marathon. My favorite game of all time is probably Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII was released in 1999 for PlayStation and is the eighth main entry in Square Enix's long-running JRPG franchise. It's both the first Final Fantasy title I ever played, and the first JRPG I successfully completed. To be honest, I was complete garbage with this genre when I first started, but that was no mean feat. When I first played it, alongside Brave Fence and Musashi, I kid you not, lost to the first boss, Ifrit. Then I got so angry that I refused to play it for the next three months. Yes, this means I didn't manage to beat Brave Fence and Musashi either. I came back to it again out of boredom, beating Ifrit handily and wondering what was wrong with me the whole time, and then beat the entire game in a month. I then went on to beat this game over ten times over the next two years, and still come back to it even now. During that time, I purchased the strategy guide, studied it religiously, and then proceeded to add notes and correct said strategy guide as I discovered new secrets and tricks. I fell in love with the epic tale of a cold, aloof, orphan teenage mercenary who learned to open his heart and become a great leader and hero. I fell in love with the fun, if not often morally gray cast of characters as they struggled to find their place in the world and become heroes in their own right. I fell in love with a story that was hopeful yet bittersweet, that represented people who broke their own self-destructive cycles while still trapped in a greater cycle of self-destruction and unyielding fate. Despite its divisiveness among friends, the junctioning system is still one of my favorite leveling systems in gaming. It ignores the commonly accepted practices of stat progression and instead allows players to customize each party member to their liking. It also makes for some early game breaking, which is an absolute blast to play around with. Yet somehow, is still filled with some genuinely challenging post-game content and tons of side quests. And even as a child, I loved that almost nothing was told overtly. Everything 
from plot to character interactions to relationship development to just simple line delivery is subtle and quiet, mature. It trusts you to look at the evidence and make your own conclusions rather than being slapped in the face with new story beats like many other JRPGs. Even the side quests embody this, making for some of the most poignant messages that still linger with me to this day. The Shumi side quest immediately comes to mind. It's a game filled with tons of fighting and yet takes a critical look at the nature of war and combat and how necessary it is. And yet, just as in real life, there are no easy answers and no one is completely correct in their philosophies. In other words, the morality is messy just how I like it. That being said, Final Fantasy VIII is not a perfect game. The romance matching the subtle delivery of the overall story itself can be at times near invisible before suddenly roaring into existence at the end. The gameplay was unique and unafraid to break away from the tradition of every other Final Fantasy, yet it was also extremely obtuse, overly meticulous, and decidedly user-unfriendly at times. The story beats themselves fluctuate from brilliant to contrived within the same cutscenes. But I still love Final Fantasy VIII. I love this game with every fiber of my being, and every time I replay it, feels like coming home all over again. Thank you for that, Elisa. If you guys liked hearing what she had to say about Final Fantasy VIII, go check out her work at Dual Shockers and everywhere else on the internet. Next up, we have Max, who previously was on our spoiler cast for The Last of Us Part Two, and he wants to talk about Uncharted 4. Hi, Jared and Controlled Interest listeners. Congratulations on 200 episodes. Honored that you would invite me to be a part of this special episode. Uh, my name is Max Roberts. I've been on a few episodes actually recently, specifically talking about that PlayStation 5 reveal and the Last of Us Part Two spoiler cast. You can find my writing over on maxfrequency.net, or you can just follow me on Twitter at maxroberts143. My favorite game uh, is going to be Uncharted 4 at Thief's End, partially because I want to avoid a problem I've done in the past where coming off of a recent release and being really hot on it, um, and saying that's my favorite and then maybe changing my mind later on after things have settled down and I've had time to digest it. Uh, so I'm not going to name The Last of Us Part Two as my favorite game. Instead, I'll stick with my tried and true staple, uh, which is Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Uncharted 4, I think, is the perfect culmination in a series and a legacy. I think the way the characters all come together and build this story is really great. I love that Sony allowed Naughty Dog to end Nathan Drake's story. It wasn't the last Uncharted game. It wasn't even the last Uncharted Naughty Dog game, as you see with Lost Legacy. But they really got to tell, I think, the story they wanted to tell and send Nathan off properly. The gameplay is this great fusion of Uncharted and The Last of Us with its stealth and loud combat kind of being able to bob and weave between those two fairly seamlessly the set pieces are grand the locations are beautiful it is just an all-around good time it's a blast to play it you are just in an action movie with this grin slapped on your face the entire time the music the way it just 
swells and it's bombastic and you're just flying around and you're shooting people and you're being dragged behind a, a truck or, you know, swing from a, a collapsing tower or solving pirate mystery puzzles. The game just feels great, top to bottom. And the way that they use gameplay to explore mechanics and feelings of the characters on screen is also great. Uh, you know, uh, re playing Crash Bandicoot in the beginning of the game not only is just a really cool Easter egg and nod to Naughty Dog's history and legacy, but also is a great connection point between the beginning and the end of the game. You've got a really interesting villain in Rafe. I think he's very human, and, you know, he's definitely not a Lazarevich. And it's just, it's a great game. Everyone's there. you got Sully, Elena. Really, the only ones missing are Chloe and Cutter. And Chloe gets her own game, you know, a couple of years later, or a year later. wasn't that long at all. It's just really a fun game. I love playing it. I think I've played it four-ish times. It's just always a blast. Uh, and that's why I love Uncharted 4. I, it is just a good time all around, top to bottom. So, that is why Uncharted 4 is uh, my favorite game of all time. So, again, you can uh, find me on Twitter at MaxRoberts143. Uh, you could go check out my writing at maxfrequency.net. It's just my blog. If you would like to read more of my thoughts on Uncharted 4, you could check out uh, Chasing the Stick, the history of Naughty Dog during the PS4 era, which I talk in detail about Uncharted 4 and Naughty Dog's whole development over the course of this last generation. So there's a lot to dig in there. Uh, you could read it on my website. You go to chasingthestick.com, or you could search Chasing the Stick in your podcast player of choice and listen to an audiobook version of it that I narrate and read. You can listen to that in piecemeal, in individual episodes, or just the whole thing in one big, long episode, whatever you'd prefer. So thanks again, Jared, for inviting me to be a part of this, and have a great day. Thanks for your time, Max. Next up, we have Joseph Moran, a.k.a. Mr. Badbit, who's going to be talking about Bloodborne. If you haven't heard of Joseph, he does a PlayStation Trophy Room, and it's a really great podcast, but listen to his thoughts now on Bloodborne and why it's his favorite game. Hello, everybody. Joseph here, a.k.a. Mr. Bad Bit, a.k.a. the host of The Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all podcast services, for that matter. Anyway, not the point here. Shameless plugs aside, I want to talk about my favorite game ever. Because when we're talking about favorite games, sometimes we go to our childhood, right? It's Super Mario World. That is so obvious. Or we go to my preteens. It's definitely definitely halo combat evolved love it i go to my teens my high school years it's definitely a call of duty or something generic like that or gears of war a perfect example but when i think about a game for me that has defined me as a gamer something that i beat the drum on so much in fact it's been 1955 days as of recording this audio that the game has launched that's bloodborne because when we walk into a Souls game 
or when we're just thinking of Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, we're thinking of these really hard games. These really like tests of endurance, tests of strength, tests of fortitude that you always think when you just close your eyes and think of a Soulsborne game, you're thinking of the title screen you died every time you die in a Souls game. People think it's way too hard. And yes, in this day and age, there's definitely credence of putting in some type of, you know, scale for the difficulty. But for me, Bloodborne isn't hard. Bloodborne is a constant test about what you've learned. You know, it's funny because I never was a Castlevania guy, but every time I talk about Bloodborne to an OG Castlevania, uh, Castlevania fan, they're just like, oh, Oh, so you must love Castlevanias because this is just a love letter to them. And it really is just that. Bloodborne is not what it seems. Yes, is it difficult? Absolutely. But if you learn along the way and you open your mind and you're not afraid to fail, well, then you're going to really enjoy your time. Hell, that was the first hour. The first hour I was playing Bloodborne, absolutely hated it. But once I beat the first boss of that game, I was in. Once I was able to get through Father Gascoigne, I was sold on this game. I was hooked. When I was picking up different outfits or different items along the world and seeing how mysterious and ominous and just all just creepy the world was, I wanted to know more about the lore when I met all these strange characters. And when the twist happens in that game, you find out you're not there for a cure or for some type of killing werewolves. You're there for a more, I hate to say it, but divine yet sinister purpose. Bloodborne's twist is that you're not fighting werewolves, you're fighting otherworldly gods or Cthulhu things that we can barely comprehend. That when we do, we get so crazy and mad, and that's how this whole blood thing even turned to be. See, I'm going through a tangent here because I just love this game so much. I... I remember when I beat Father Gascoigne, that sense of accomplishment of, holy crap, I was able to do this. Hell, when I was able to platinum the game after years of owning it, after years of beating it time and time again, and finally getting that platinum, man, it just felt something special. And I remember when I was beating it for the first time, it opened my eyes saying, no, you know what? I could be more than just a third-person shooter guy or a first-person shooter guy. I can go out there and test any game to see if I actually like it. I shouldn't have what people say be the barrier to entry for me. And it's because of Bloodborne that I was able to go out there and try games that I thought I never would be into. And honestly, they've turned into my favorite genre of game. I love, love that action RPG-like style that Bloodborne and Souls have given gamers throughout the years. And I want to thank Bloodborne for really teaching me not just patience and endurance, but seeing games as more as just a means to escape, but also providing deep story and lore that we can appreciate for years to come. It's been 1,955 days since I've gotten to play Bloodborne, or sorry, since Bloodborne's launch, but I don't need a sequel. I mean, it'd be nice, but I think that game's just so perfect to me that, heck, it could be just a one and done, and it could just be so fine for me. So yeah, Bloodborne, definitely not just my game of the generation, not just a game of the year for that year. Yes, I know, Witcher, it's crazy. Uh, but it's really probably just my favorite game of all time. And I love Last of Us, and I love God of War, but man, 
when I think about Bloodborne, I just want to play it again. So thank you for letting me share my story. And congratulations, guys, on your 200th episode. Have a nice one. Thank you for your time, Joseph. Next up, we have Logan Moore, managing editor over at Dual Shockers, and he's going to tell us about Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I know Dom's excited to hear his thoughts on this, since it was Dom's favorite game of all time as well. Hey, Controlled Interest crew, this is Logan Moore from Dual Shockers. Uh, first off, congrats on the 200-episode milestone. Uh, somebody who was in the podcast game for quite a while, I know just what just how impressive it is to reach that milestone so congrats on the 200 episodes that you guys have hit so far best of luck on the next 200 uh so for my favorite game of all time it's weird because i i think i'm one of those people who can never have a new favorite game of all time uh after something like the legend of zelda ocarina of time which is what i have always defaulted to as saying is my favorite game ever made um, it's definitely in this, at this point in my life, that is definitely an opinion, not even an opinion. I guess it's just something that I believe it's very much seeped in nostalgia though. Um, because that game is hard for me to separate from the view that I have for it as a, what, five to six year old kid when I first played that game. Uh, I had I've been playing video games since I was about 18 months old. There are legitimately pictures of me in a diaper playing video games uh, on the Sega Genesis when I was like 18 months old. So I've been playing essentially my whole life, and there have been a lot of great games uh, that have come out in my what, 26 years on this planet. Good lord, I'm getting old. Um, but it's really hard for me to say that anything. That I like anything more than Ocarina of Time, and uh, that's just because that was really the first game I can remember playing when I was younger that really captured my imagination and uh, captured it, like showed me what video games could really be. Um, up until that point, I had played a lot of you know like side scrollers and two D platformers and things like that, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis type games, and that was really one of the first that uh, I had played that was in three D. So, of course, that game on its own merit is very good. Um, I think even by modern standards, Ocarina of Time holds up very well, and it is still to this day a game that I would deem fantastic. Uh, but combined with the fact that it was really the first 3D game I can ever re really remember playing, which kind of blew my mind in that regard, and then also the fact that it was the first Zelda game that I ever played uh, as well. Zelda is obviously... A legendary franchise it's one of the most popular gaming franchises ever created and people love that franchise for a lot of reasons but a lot of the touchstones with that series whether it be you know link as a character or the music from the games uh that is so iconic or uh kind of the format of those games i know breath of the wild in recent years is buck the trend of what it means to be a zelda game but that that format of what zelda games are where you enter a dungeon you find an item and you fight some bosses and you go on, you defeat Ganon. Uh, those things really were introduced to me for the first time with Ocarina of Time. Uh, and I fell in love with that formula. And I, I think that uh, obviously like what Ocarina of Time is, is influenced a lot by what came before it. Um, but for me, having that been my first exposure to that franchise and really to like 3D games, like I said, and then larger action adventure games and just Flying in love with running around that world, even when I was younger, even if I didn't know how to do everything in the game, like being able to ride a horse around that area, that Hyrule Field area that just felt so vast and so 
like it felt like there was so much to do in that game um it really just kind of blew my mind as a kid and has always just been very near and dear to my heart for that reason uh to this day so while there are other games in my life that i think i have maybe enjoyed a little bit more at one time or another some of those other ones maybe like bioshock i really enjoyed god of war a few years ago uh bloodborne and the dark souls games i've greatly enjoyed too but like uh to this day, when people ask me what my favorite game of all time is, it is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And uh, I have, I'm hard-pressed to believe that will be changing anytime soon. So, uh, Thanks for having me on this episode, you guys. I uh, wish you, again, best of luck moving forward with the podcast in the future. And I am excited to come back on here soon down the road. I am sure I will be on a future episode again with you all in the near future. So take care. Thank you for that, Logan. Michael Huber of Easy Allies joins to tell us, and you should know by now what Michael Huber's favorite game is, but he goes over again why Resident Evil 2 is his favorite game of all time. What's up, everybody? Huber here from Easy Allies, and my all-time favorite video game forever will be Resident Evil 2. Uh, my obsession with the series began with the original Resident Evil. My neighbor had it. I didn't have access to it at the time. I was like eight years old when that game came out. Way too young. But I can remember playing the demo on the director's cut for two and just being so blown away by it. So then finally when two game came out, I had it for myself. And it was the first game that I obsessed with outside of the game itself you know i had grown up with super mario brothers and would play mario brothers 3 all the time but resident evil i would honestly always think about the spencer mansion incident giving context and backstory to resident evil 2 making the scope of the entire thing so big and massive and then resident evil 2 itself just the the visuals and everything was such a step up from the original resident evil I loved exploring Raccoon City, obviously the, the multiple scenarios, playing as Leon and Claire, the Umbrella Conspiracy, the mystery, Ada showing up, referencing the Spencer in Mansion incident, and of course William Birkin, one of the all-time greatest monsters ever in a video game, just so good, uh, and I, I would just replay this thing forever on my living room floor. And my mom always saying, you, you know, it's make believe, right? You know, it's it's not real. It's it's just video game monsters. Yeah, mom, I know. I know. And she would watch me and I, I would take this game over to Brad's house and play with him. We'd have sleepovers and just play this game all night. And just all the unlockables you could find, hunk and tofu. Uh, this game is just equal parts masterful and nostalgic so it's really the best of both worlds i don't see it ever being beaten out for my favorite game of all time the remake is phenomenal as well but the original will always have just that special place sealed in my heart thank you guys for listening to the show i appreciate all of our guests coming on and letting us know what their favorite games were um i would go through the names but i'm fearful that live i might forget somebody's name but all of you know who you are thank you for spending the time and effort to let us know what your favorite game is and why it means so much to you. Uh, Dom and I can't thank you guys enough for, you know, agreeing to be a guest on our little podcast that we do. And we appreciate everyone that comes on. We've met so many cool people and developed friendships with these people as well. And I'm just happy to 
have 200 episodes in the bag and have people come back and want to be a part of it again. <laughs> you know, they had a good time with us, Dom. <laughs> they were like, yeah, on second thought, I don't know if I want to come back for that. So it's good to hear that uh, we left a good impression on those people. If you want to listen to our podcast more, please head on over to YouTube. Search Controlled Interest will pop right up. Hit the bell notification to let you know when we upload new videos. Can't trust YouTube sub boxes. If you like the video, like it. Leave us a comment. I read every one we get. We don't get a whole lot, but I read every one. So if you want me to, if you want to interject and give your opinion on something we talked about, I'd love to hear it. Uh, differing opinions, same opinions, whatever. Uh, so leave a comment if you'd like. On iTunes, leave us a review. It definitely helps us prefer a five-star review. But, hey, if we're a four-star to you, leave that review as well. We need everyone to move up in the algorithm. On Spotify, you can find us there by searching Controlled Interests as well as other podcast services. On Twitter, you can find us collectively at CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interests abbreviated. You can follow me at Jared underscore. Still searching for that. At Jared. Guy hasn't tweeted in seven years, Dom. Can't do it. I report him every week. Well, when I remember. It's not like a, I don't have it scheduled out. But, you know, whenever I go and check on it to see if it's been deleted yet, I always report it and nothing's happened. Dom, anyways, you can find it at Dom's Oreos. Um, the world's best cookie or biscuit, I guess, if you're British. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys for joining us for episode 200. Once again, thank you to our guests for coming back and joining us and letting us know what their favorite games were. We'll catch you guys next week with a normal show for 201. Hopefully we'll hear about Dom... These rumored Xbox and PlayStation August events. Phil Spencer confirmed the August events happening, but we need some hard dates. Catch you guys next time.